Good afternoon, everybody. This is the Nerds Roll Inc. Fix Your Crown podcast. I'm really excited on this Friday afternoon to have Nakia Fields all the way from San, not San Diego, wish she was in San Diego, but she will be in San Diego soon. We will be doing our workshops here with Nakia, but Nakia is also um, a partner of Nerdrill Inc. Nakia, can you tell our audience a little more about yourself? Of course. Uh, hi, everybody. Nice to see you, meet you, e-meet you, be around you, share energy with you. My name is Nakia Fields, and I am an old high school friend of Tristica. But I also um, have started to collaborate and work with her through the coalition that I am the chair of the Black Mental Health Task Force. So it's been really fun to be out in the community advocating for change and doing all that good stuff and finding partners like her. So nice to meet you. And with Nakia, Nakia has done some amazing things. Not only is she an amazing therapist, licensed, but she's also an author. She's also a speaker. She's on panelists. So all her information is going to be added on after this um, amazing podcast. So you can book her at any time. You can also go on to Amazon and look for her book as well. But can you tell us a little bit more about the Black Mental Health Task Force? Sure. You know, okay, so you mentioned that I was a therapist and I had all these things happening. And I have to tell you, that's because I decided at some point, probably in my early 30s, that I was not a good employee. I'm much better at multiple streams of income. And thus, my world of becoming a mental health entrepreneur was born because I did have a master's in social work. And I have worked in various organizations such as Department of Children and Family Services, Department of Public Social Services. Um, I have worked in many different school districts and agencies that service, um, you know, mental health services. I also have a pupil personnel services credential, which allows me to work in schools. And I have a specialty in trauma and anxiety. Uh, and I am a restorative yoga therapist, so I really address the somatic issues of what's happening in the body of a person when they're traumatized or, or in stress. So in working in all these systems and having this lens of the mental health professional, but then starting to also have the lens of the business person who's able to get contracts with these organizations, um, I started to blend the two in my mind of service provision and entrepreneurship. Um, and it became difficult to work somewhere for hourly rate when I knew what people were getting paid for the contracts. Um, and I also saw, saw who they were hiring to implement contracts or services. Mm -hmm. And many of it was not truly addressing what I was seeing in schools. And um, I was working with zero to five and families. So zero to five is children ages zero to five. And I just was seeing so much disparity in educational outcomes and services being offered that I started a nonprofit um, in addition to the for-profit business I was already running that was getting me the contracts in different organizations. Mm -hmm. And my nonprofit originally was like just me when I donated services to clients or I ran a workshop on the weekend and I didn't charge or I ran like arts and play-based things for other therapists to learn how to do play therapy mm -hmm. or art and music therapy or even nature-based therapy. So I was doing free things, but it was coming out of my pocket I was funding it uh, and then 2020 happened. It wasn't a big business at all. We weren't, we had never really won any grants. Um, and then my for-profit 
was greatly impacted by the pandemic because we couldn't operate the way we did in such such close settings um and people just kind of went on this heavy pause and and that impacted that business and thus i had my nonprofit, and i thought now's a good time to truly think about some of the work we want to do um, and be intentional about it based on what's going on in the world with civil rights uprising um the administrations that were present um, during certain periods that made uh, myself as a black mother feel unsafe for my black child. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was this intersection of what can happen with my business, what can happen with me personally during this pandemic. And I thought, well, everything's virtual. There's opportunities abounding. What shall I do with it? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, and it's funny because at the time I had been a stakeholder as a business owner, you know, running my business, both of them, the nonprofit and the for-profit. And I'd normally like go to like a department of mental health stakeholder group just to kind of ear hustle and see if there were any uh, funding opportunities for me mm -hmm. or networking opportunities. And, uh, but I went, I started going and truly stopped thinking that way, which to me, I was very, I'm very grateful for now. Mm -hmm. um, but thinking about how can my business benefit and how can this thing benefit? And I more so went and thought, okay. how can black people benefit from Department of Mental Health having to hear from a stakeholder group about what's not working? Mm -hmm. um, because now I have a child and that's, you know, it's not about like how much money I make or what I get in my career. It's about what's coming for the future of these children, um, what's happening that's impacting their wellness now and the wellness of the parents who are taking care of them. Um, and I just really wanted to get involved. So now I went to these meetings with this ear for like, I hear you saying that DMH, but what are you gonna do about it? Right. Like, what are we doing about it community? And then uh, I got elected as a co-chair um, of this Department of Mental Health. Um, it's called the Black and African Heritage Underserved Cultural Communities Committee. Mm -hmm. And if you are a leader in that stakeholder group, you get to go to all the leadership meetings that occur for DMH. Um, with all of the other underserved cultural community committees. So it's like the Native American, the Latino, um, the access, which includes those who are visually or audio disabled and still need, you know, and still we need to work out their services as well for mental health, right? Um, and there's the Eastern European group. So all these groups, and, and then there's their API group, Asian Pacific Islander group. So we all come together once a month in leadership and we have Dr. Sharon, who's the Department of Mental Health lead director. Um, he sometimes comes on these calls and DMH staff is in representation to hear what we all collectively as underserved groups require and request from DMH. So that being said, listening on, in on those meetings, taking in the information that I was hearing about what they were doing with funding, mm -hmm. what they were doing with programming overall, you know, we even get their whole yearly five-year plan we get those sent to us in the mail um and we get to review it and i started reviewing and really you know from the standpoint of okay these are things that they're planning to do for the next five years what are they going to do for black people who are very impacted by COVID 19 um by what's happening in the world and by the collective trauma that we have experienced as a people for over 400 years and it's still happening with us so what are we going to do for our mental health? And I started saying like things like this in the meeting. And at one of the meetings, I, uh, I asked, could we form a task force or something? Because 
we just keep coming to these meetings, talk about these, this horrible data and people are crying at the meetings about people like last week, my uncle died from COVID-19 and it was just so much in our community, the high mm -hmm. numbers mm -hmm. of this that was happening was egregious. And it's not that mental health is a public health that we can address vaccinations or we can address the what's happening in hospitals but we truly can say that this is impacting our community from witnessing it mm -hmm. exactly. um, and it's called secondary trauma right mm -hmm. we're traumatized as a community from seeing what comes up on our social media with like even uh, criminal justice enforcement the way that we are policed mm -hmm. in various spaces that's stressful um it's hard to live in while black things sometimes and and we have to have a safe space to talk about it and so i brought it up that this is not a safe space necessarily because dmh is in the room mm -hmm. right so you're a system that's in the room and we have to get things approved by you about what we're going to do so can we have a group that we come together of other people in this group who maybe dmh supports us if we have events or if we have ideas, we report it to this group and we, we, we work together. But this task force is a community-led coalition outside of DMH, but supported by DMH. I asked for a motion to be passed. It was, pa it was voted on and it moved forward. I think that moved forward in June of 2020. Mm -hmm. And we had like a democratic process of everybody. And it was over like 40, 100 people were on this uh, Zoom call in the beginning. 40 organizations and about 100 people all together. Uh, and we came up with a vision statement, a mission, sta mission statement. We came up with structure. And we ended up having a, a, a chair, which is the main lead, and then two vice chairs. Mm -hmm. uh, and the vice chairs run the work groups. And one of the work groups is a policy work group, and the other is an outreach work group. And I was elected as chair. And then I have two wonderful co-chairs, Rachel Chambers and Ma Marilyn uh, Huff. And they are just amazing. They, uh, Rachel runs her own organization, Painted Brain, um, and I run my own organization, Therapeutic Play Foundation. And Marilyn is a DMH employee who is also a master's of social work, a social worker, and she uh, does private practice with healing Black intergenerational trauma. So we come together with our collective powers and contracts and ability to win funding, and we've been able to to have. I would say eight outreach events since we formed in June. Collectively, as a group, we've been able to get funded for over a million dollars of Black empowering work in the community. We were hired by UCLA to um, help create the curriculum for the Black health promotoras that they're hiring um, at DMH to go out in the community and do outreach uh, to the Black communities, particularly about mental health. Mm -hmm. um, what else have we done? We've been able to do a black mental health curriculum for Santa Monica Malibu Unified School District for the black and African families that reside there because they are in isolation in a white space. Um, so the fact that a school district hired us for that and knew to, to hear of us was was huge. So we've been doing some really good work as, as a task force. And this upcoming weekend, we have a, um, a Juneteenth event that we partner with Department of Public Health and Department of Mental Health to empower black families mm -hmm. um, through conversation. And so it's just been so great to just be a force of change just because you could open your mouth 
And to see that manifest, it makes me feel like the queen that I showed up <laughs> as with my crown. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm really impressed because, you know, um, the times that I get to get on to the calls for the Black Mental Health Task Force, I'm learning a lot and I'm learning how different your task force is and how it is here in San Diego. Like you guys are doing powerful things. You guys are basically, you're showing up. That's what, that's the word you're showing up. And how can our organizations here in San Diego um, get involved with the Black Mental Health Task Force? You know, we have a website. Mm -hmm. It's blackmentalhealthtaskforce.net. And I encourage anybody who feels enthused about what we're talking about, um, please do join us and, 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 and join the listserv or sign up the membership agreement. Um, all you have to do is really come to our general meetings. We have a general meeting once a month on uh, the first Monday of every month at 930. It's a virtual meeting. So if you can just drop in. Um, it's two hours on the first Monday of every month. And then we have the work group meetings, which is where we plan everything. You know, we have a policy work group. That's where we talk about things that come up in the community that impact the black community. Like um, right now, we've been talking a lot about the food insecurity and how the grocery stores are disappearing in Los Angeles County and black communities. Mm -hmm. um, where, and then what about people who have no transportation? What are they going to eat? So how can we address this huge need that will impact the wellness of people if they're unsure if they're going to be able to get food that week? Or are they going to be able to get healthy food if all that's left is the liquor store and the, the fast food restaurants? You know, that's how you do that, you know, eugenics and epigenetics things that are intentional. You know, you take the grocery stores away. So what do we do as a black community? We have to talk about it. So at our policy work group, we talk about how we're going to impact change in that. What programs are we going to go after funding to be able to address that issue that's coming up? Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of things we talk about our policy work group, but if you care about that kind of stuff, that's where you got to show up. Those are every other Tuesday at two o'clock. And then we have the outreach work group, which is where we plan our events and our outreach. So this whole Juneteenth event, um, the upcoming conversation series, and we're having a community awards ceremony where we're awarding community members who are out there just trying to empower the black wellness of our people. Um, we're having nominations at the stakeholder groups, the USCC, the Black and African Heritage ones I was mentioning to you. Mm -hmm. um, and I have since no stepped down from being that co-chair of that group, and um, the current co-chair is Wendy Kabil. And I can no longer continue because I have been funded now by DMH, so I cannot continue as a volunteer stakeholder lead uh, as a funded um, organization from right. DMH. So, but I still get to maintain as a Black Mental Health Task Force chair because it's completely separate. Uh, and they continue to invite me to run reports at those meetings. Um, so I'm still involved. But that's, that's how you can become involved. Go to our meetings, mm -hmm. um, be passionate. And we are all over. We have members in DC. We have members in South Africa. We have members in Ghana. Um, we have members all over LA and California. That's primarily what our makeup is, is, is Southern California and Northern California. We have a lot of people who are just members and participate in the way they can, meaning they help connect us with funding and contracts or share bids when they're available, share grants when they're available, when they match our mission to empower people to, by building group esteem and collective freedom. That's our mission. We are attempting to help our people learn the coping skills to be able to get past any obstacle and be able to live a happy life despite what's happening around us and that we build our community so that we do have brave 
and safe spaces for ourselves. Another thing we're doing is we're doing a lot of advocacy with programs like Downtown Crenshaw, mm -hmm. which is a project led by the community where people in and around living in Baldwin Hills and Crenshaw, South LA, are coming together as a community to buy the Baldwin Hills Mall. We've raised over $28 million and submitted a bid to the developer or the bank who holds it, and they refuse to sell at this point. And so we're doing a lot of advocacy from the Black Mental Health Task Force around volunteering on that effort and submitting money on that effort because we think that if we own our own buildings, our own spaces, that will also impact the wellness and mental health of black people. So we're really in there. Like we're in there advocacy, we're in there in outreach, we're in there. So if you have a way we can grow to San Diego and have members there and do outreach there and engage in numbers and policy change, that's what we need to do. So if anybody wants to be on board, Check out the website. Follow me. I'm the Philwell Coach on Instagram and, and Facebook, I think. I don't know what else I have. I might have other ones. But I know I'm the <laughs> Philwell Coach. And you can find me. And I really do post about all the events we do, all the projects I work on. I'm also doing a lot of research around early childhood intervention um, and creating programs for mothers with children in the home zero to five to support them. And mm -hmm. it's free to, to mothers, all mothers. So there's a lot of things out there that if you guys want to work with me and collaborate, in the end, if we collaborate and are successful and help each other as sisters and brothers move forward, then we eventually get to be in rooms that we can reach back and bring other people in. And that's right. kind of the mode I'm in right now. And that's what she has done for me. And that's why I wanted to share her story on the Black Mental Health Task Force. I know um, I'm going to bring this up. Um, me and Nakia were having a conversation and she was like, are you still working? And I was like, yeah. And it's so funny when you have um, someone who will pull you to the side and, you know, pull you to the side and show you who you are and who you're capable of being. That's what I think the Black Mental Health Task Force is. And Nakia has poured and planted so many seeds in my life. And I was like, oh my God, I'm missing out on this. I'm missing out on that. And sometimes, you know, we build up a wall and it's like, no, I can't do this. I can't do that. But Nakia with her um, special, I don't know, she got some kind of power, y'all, something. She makes you think about, no, you are great. You can do this. This is what you need to do. And it took me so long to finally realize the capabilities of what I can do and what I've already been doing. But that's the best thing to have somebody in your corner that says, you know, tells you, look, this is what you need to do. This is the resources. And that's what you'll get by being a partner or being a part of the Black Mental Health Task Force is getting those tools and getting the right people in your corner saying, this is what you can do. And this is what you're not going to do because you're not reaching that, you know, that goal. And I really appreciate you for that, Nakia, because you have really... Um, I may not tell you it all the time, but you have really shown me my own potential. Um, I don't, I'm not able to get on her Black Mental Health Task Force calls all the time, but when I do, I'm telling you, anybody listening, if you are looking for a group to just listen in and learn, um, if you're, if you are a student, you will be learning from everybody. It's not just one person. Everybody's collective. They're pouring into you. 
They're giving you resources. It's just like you're in school again with a bunch of great teachers. Everyone's a teacher and everyone's a student. So thank you so much for creating the Black Mental Health Task Force. You know, you have all these hats. What do you do for self-care? You know what's so interesting is that, remember I told you there was some point where I was like, I just decided I couldn't be an employee? Mm -hmm. um, that's because I really like freedom. I, I'm like, my personality type is I like to be like outdoors and nature. Um, I don't really like a set schedule. I often tell people I don't even know what day it is mm -hmm. um, because I, I don't have like a rigid stuff routine. And especially once I had my son, that was that was challenged a bit because you do have to have routine with a baby and a child, especially when they go to school. And so I think my most routine is around my child. But beyond that, I'm a big like go, go and stop on the way home and get a, a 90 minute massage at the Korean spa. Mm -hmm. um, oh, pick up the phone real quick and call my acupuncturist. Be like, can you got an appointment tomorrow? Cause I want to get, like, I was having a little bit of shoulder pain. Can I get a, can I get cupping and moxa and, uh, and, um, uh, acupuncture tomorrow? And then like, I have people that are a part of my self care routine that I'm rigid with, but it's, it's flexibly allowed because I do, I am fully self-employed. I, I don't have a boss. Like I don't have anybody telling me I have to be anywhere at any point in time. Mm -hmm. Um, when people hire me for speaking in engagements or I have to um, facilitate something or run an event that's on my calendar and I gratefully have people on my team now who will call me and be like you know you have an event in 20 minutes because that's what I need um, so I would say my self-care is giving myself what I need um, giving myself the schedule that I needed I cultivated the lifestyle that I currently have I work really hard for it to be able to have this kind of life and I think that by giving myself it, I don't, I don't need self-care in a way that other people do because I, li I live my self-care. Like my work is self-care. All I do is yoga presentations with clients. I mm -hmm. talk about wellness and do breath work with people or I teach them yoga or I talk about how to take care of yourself. And then I model it with my whole self. I embody for myself wellness, what I require for wellness. Mm -hmm. um, including what I eat and stuff. And I share that with people for a living. So essentially I am my self-care routine and it, it serves me. And that's where I get my power from. And it serves her well. Um, every time I'm like not having a good day or anything, I just go to her page and just see what she posts. Cause she's either outside, she's in the sun, she's doing a yoga pose. It's like, you have to find the right people to follow. Any young person that's listening to this podcast, check who you're following on your Instagram or your Facebook. You need people who have that energy and that smile. Nakia, you see already has that smile. And Nakia also has a documentary that's coming up. Can you tell us a little bit about that as well? I know. Sometimes I don't say all the things because I'm like, this girl, <laughs> Shut up, Nakia, but if you want me to talk. I oh, no, this is your time to shine. <laughs> oh, oh, let me show you. Let me show you. I didn't do this on purpose. This is literally the shirt I grabbed out the out the thing this morning, like, because I had to put on a clothes because somebody came to my door. <laughs> but oh, cute. this is the shirt for my documentary. We got a May, like, about a year ago for the production team because we, uh -huh. we were out of sight filming. So, essentially, um while i was at a stakeholder group meeting uh these people were talking about what are some things that you think would help the black community not stigmatize mental health and engage more in services because apparently according to the to the data 
black people don't utilize resources as often as other ethnic groups, meaning like they're not going to therapy or they're not using like WIC or different services as much as like Latinos or white people are using it. it although data is showing that they might benefit from it because they are winning all the races and other things, right? Which, mm -hmm. which shouldn't be the truth, but because we're aware of this data, I would like, I, I have a problem with people like presenting things that are bad and then like nobody talks about like what we gonna do. Mm -hmm. Like that's really common. And the documentary, somebody said, well, what can we do to do that? And I was like, well, can we do like a little, we were supposed to have an event like in two months, but then COVID-19 happened right there. So we had a meeting like February 5th with, it was, a, it was not the DMH meeting I was talking about. This time it was the Department of Public Health. They have the African-American Infant and Maternal Mortality Prevention Initiative. So apparently because there's so much death and, and low birth weight and um, premature babies in the black community and also our children are dying before one at higher rates than any other ethnic group, particularly in LA and in certain areas too, more so. And so I've been going to that stakeholder group from Department of Public Health because I work with children zero to five. I work with mamas and I'm a black mother who had my own birth uh, trauma experience. So I was seeking community from that standpoint by going to that stakeholder group. So as you can hear from listening to my story, I basically split a lot of my, my pandemic time between going to Zoom meetings for Department of Mental Health stakeholder groups and Zoom meetings for Department of Public Health stakeholder groups. And through going to them and sharing my story and being authentic and talking about like, what are we gonna do different? They listened to my ideas. Mm -hmm. So um, Department of Public Health, I said, I kind of think maybe we could make a little film and at the meeting, the meeting that we're gonna have in two months, we can screen this little mini documentary about kind of like, what are some healthy things and holistic things you can do to take care of your wellness in the black community and try to destigmatize. But then right after we had had one meeting about it and they said, oh yeah, go ahead, do it. We don't have any funding, but any, any support you need, maybe we can have little meetings about it and help you recruit moms to interview and things like that. Mm -hmm. They said, we'll help with. So I was like, okay, thinking it was gonna be maybe this little 60 minute thing I record about mental health and then we'll move forward. However, then the pandemic hit, we stopped having in-person meetings, it kind of slowed down, but we, I still was kind of moving forward with little production team meetings about the documentary, but mm -hmm. it was only just really me saying, we're gonna have a documentary. <laughs> 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 it was really funny. People totally didn't take me seriously. Plus, cause I'm not a docu documentary maker, I'm a therapist, I do yoga. I wear these braids sometimes and my hair is this. Who's that weird girl? She's always smiling. You know, it was, it was a lot of people just kind of like, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and, I, and then I started to be more intentional. And then they saw when I got the task force together. Um, and then I started saying, task force, this is a part of what we're doing. This is one of our projects. They were like, what? We're, we didn't sign on for that. I was like, well, I'm your chair. And we're gonna go document what's happening in the world and we're gonna show the world what's happening that could be causing us harm. And then we're gonna show the world what we can do about it. And we're gonna document it the whole way through. So this Juneteenth Empowering uh, Black Families conversation was a pitched idea so that I could document it for the documentary. I also pitched an idea to Kaiser to be able to do some research and outreach to Ghana who ha um, we have a nonprofit that we partner with that has an organic sustainable farm and an orphanage. And so we are in partnership with them in a pen pal exchange program 
mm-hmm. um, uh, about education and in our authentic ancestral history while also having a lens towards the future. So we have been documenting a book club, reading the book by Yaw Jesse, uh, Homegoing, which uh, kind of documents the journey of two sisters who didn't know they were sisters, but who were separated uh, in Ghana. One was enslaved and sent on the ship through the, the door of no return in Ghana to America. And the other one was uh, became the wife, but they don't call her wife, she's a wench to the slave uh, castle governor, a white man. And mm-hmm. so this book follows the ancestry of one sister growing up kind of a, in a powerful position in a way as, a, as, as much as this black woman could um, during this time and her ancestors and how they ended up. And then um, the ancestors of the, the woman who was enslaved underneath the castle and then sent on the ship over to America and her children and how they went through slavery and the ramifications of those children in present day America. So this book is a non uh, a historical nonfiction book, but we're reading it in a book club format. Mm-hmm. And then we're having a storytelling workshop at the end of the book club. So the book club has been happening every Thursday in June. We're going to have our third meeting today, Thursday, tonight, tonight mm-hmm. at five o'clock. And then at the end of this book club, we are doing a, a, a virtual tour of the slave castle so that we can kind of reflect on what we just read and see the present day slave castle and, and what we're going to do about all the stuff that we know now through our reading, right? So we're trying to come through the back door with the historical education. We don't need to call it critical race theory. We're going to call it our authentic history and we're going to move forward with that. <laughs> Amazing. And that's what I said. That's what our topic is, finding hope in the community. That's what the Black Mental Health Task Force is, is finding hope. There's so many organizations out there and you're like, oh, I'm going here, I'm going here. But I'm not, you know, telling you not to go to any other organization. I'm just telling you about Black mental health right now. This is what we're talking about with our um, our podcast. You know, this month we're just focusing on Black women and Black girls in our community. And the Black Mental Health Task Force is here for anybody that's listening right now. You can get involved, get your community leaders together, log on to the website, listen to Nakia, you know, speaking about what she's doing in the community, but she doesn't only do it for the community. She does it for herself. The self-care is very important when you're doing mental health. Nakia, what would you give, what advice would you give to a young entrepreneur that wants to get in the mental health field of creating a nonprofit or just doing something in the community? What advice would you give to a young entrepreneur? You know, I would say start, number one, start. Number two, don't stop. Mm. That's the answer. You know, I think most people, they say, they, I want to do this, I want to do that. And then they wait for somebody to give them permission or somebody to show them the handbook and lead them by the hand through it. And I think that's uh, coming from a fear space because you think you're going to do it wrong. But I really want to tell you truly that there is no wrong or right. Everybody out there who has made it to something didn't know what they were doing in the beginning and they had to learn. Mm-hmm. And that's just the truth of it. And if we sit in the idea that we don't know what we're doing and nobody taught us, especially as black women, nobody is going to teach you. You know, the, that passion and desire to learn and be educated about what's going on in your world and around you and doing something about it has to be internally motivated. That's called intrinsic motivation. It means that I have the ability to motivate myself and make action without somebody or something outside of me. 
Um, and I think that's what I've been describing a little bit about myself, that I'm very intrinsically motivated. And I think a lot of people uh, think about intrinsic motivation as ne negative, like it's you're being selfish. However, I challenge that thought. I invite us all to think about the fact that it's important to be selfish, especially because you're the only thing that you absolutely have control over. So if you're not even in control of yourself and your time and your own thoughts and your own opinions, then how can you be powerful in this world? Thank you so much, Nakia. This is Fix Your Crown Podcast, finding hope in the community, not only with yourself, but also with people around you. This is Tristica from Nerdrill Inc. This is the beautiful Nakia Fields. We are signing off today with Nerdrill Inc. Fix Your Crown Podcast.